Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I am joined by Chris Sherrod, Chris Legg, and Brent Starnes. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hey, here's Colson Lechner with a quick disclaimer for this episode. Um, we're going to talk a lot about the topic of evolution. And if that's a topic that you haven't spent a lot of time thinking about, um, or uh, it's something that might freak you out a little bit, um, know that we are not done uh, talking about that in this episode. That's something that we'll continue to talk about. So uh, Chris Leg did let me know after we recorded um, that he had some additional thoughts and that he wants to keep the conversation going a little bit more for some more clarity. So um, yeah, I hope that is helpful and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Reconstruct Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner, alongside my partners in crime, Chris Legg and Bryn Starnes today. Chris uh, Chris Sherrod actually is starting his first day at Watermark today. Yeah. So Chris, if you're listening, hope you're having a great day. Absolutely. Um, and okay, we, we have a few things that we want to address. First being that if it sounds like I'm stuffed up, I am. <laughs> That's right. We so yeah, we, I am a little bit too today. We're living in East Texas, and, and so I'm probably down for the count. <laughs> yeah. So so we are sorry for the inconsistency of our voices. Yeah. Um. But there were a few other things that we wanted to talk about. What was the other thing? You wanted to well, say, Chris? what we were talking about the um uh you've got we've got some new software and stuff, and obviously I'm the I'm not the aware one on that kind of stuff, but we've got software stuff. You've been doing some. You may, have, yes. you may have noticed in the last podcast some editing. Yeah, it features. seemed a little bit like choppy. We were we're working with trying to get like some transcription to help you guys maybe look at like look back at what we're talking about rather than having to listen back to the whole episode. But in that, uh, the editing was pretty choppy and somewhat hard to listen to at some yeah. point. So know that we're working through that. Um, the other part of being hard to listen to is kind of the sound and consistency. Yeah, that's been kind of different for us. Yes, and I, I'm. You're, you, I mean, Colson, you're the more expert than I am on yeah. this stuff. Like, well, just, really, the main thing is we've been uh, we've been really blessed to get new equipment and stuff like that. Some of that has been though. Uh, we've recorded things in the past and then trying to piecemeal things together. That's no bueno. So uh, <laughs> we're. I'm still working out the kinks on that. But thank you guys still for listening. Oh, oh, and, and about the on oh, go for it. iTunes or whatever. Oh, what, yes, yes, yes. That deal? was the main thing. That was the main one. Yeah, so I don't know if you have uh, been looking at this, but as, especially if you're like listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, our first few episodes, you like can't find them. Yeah, like so, the first seven. Or yeah, something. the first seven. It's annoying. So that's kind of an ongoing thing talking with IT and then also talking with Apple to s- figure out, okay, we don't know why they're not showing up. Some podcast apps, kind of different ones, have all of them. Some only have the first seven. Yeah. And so it's kind of, as it's kind of scratching our heads. So all hey, of that to say. Hey, Colson, where could we go to get all, what, 33 episodes so far? Where could I go to find all of that's those? That's a great question. I'm really glad you asked, Chris. Yep. Uh, you can find all of our episodes at uh, southspring.org slash reconstructed dash faith. And I will link that in the show notes. So yeah, if you, on our website, we have all of them, um, but we, we really are working to get those accessible wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Um, Very cool. But yeah, thanks for bearing with us on that. Now, today's episode is going to be a little bit different um, in that we're going to take some listener questions, which I'm excited about. Um, And we've had, we've had a few people reach out and there's kind of a swath of kind of different, different questions. Um, Are you good if we just jump in with the first one? Yes. But hey, let me, yeah, let me please say, go, go for by it. By the way, it looks like at the, so I just jumped over to that uh, ever so handy web link that you just gave. And I, I'm looking at uh, at them and they aren't numbered. So you uh, have to go yes. by, by date to know oh. how old one are, is. So you need to, when you go, you want to go back to the older ones. And then it looks like October 1st, somewhere around there is where we started. So here's what I'm thinking. When I'm done, I'll go back and number them. That would be great. And that way they'll be numbered and it's easy to just go back to number one. Yep. Why are we doing this October 4th, 2021 episode? Wonderful. Okay. Thank you for taking a look at that. uh, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. Just being helped. Yeah. Well, we would go for it. Those first episodes are really crucial just as far as setting a foundation. And I think you guys talked about truth and different foundations for truth and yeah well I mean we've we've been very like adamant from the beginning about defining our terms right Mm. because there are so many different definitions and so that's a great point um but we want to make it as like we want to make it as least confusing for you guys so that's why as least confusing as possible yes (laughs) so sorry though that it has been confusing oh that's great perfect okay thank you for yeah, Thanks periodically we're going to do these question. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of, you know, the Bible podcast, Bible uh-huh. Project yes. podcast. They call theirs Q and R. Yeah, the question Q and, and a response. Is a question response. And I, I'm not assuming that this is, we're not assuming this is the the answer. Right, that's yes. good. Um, at the same time, it it is our answer as of today. Yes, mm-hmm. so. exactly. <laughs> that's what yes. we're, that's I what like, we're, that's I like that. we're sticking with. So. I like saying question and response. Yeah, yes. that's, that's kind that's of a great. good movement. Okay, that's awesome. Well, read the first one. Yeah, please do, Brad. Okay, our first question is from Solomon, and it is: Is evolution false to the point that helpful ethical conclusions cannot be drawn from it and applied today? Wow. Um. Okay, so we talked in the past about evolution and about creation. And one of the things that stood out as we talked about it intentionally is one of the times I think even Colson when you weren't here. Uh-huh. And and so, you know, Chris Sherrod, who's not again not with us today, um, his his perspective on creation, the beginning of everything, is is very traditional and from the biblical perspective. Seven, twenty-four hour day type of thinking. And and mine isn't. And so I actually, his is, his, I don't know if his is more or less common or Myers, mine is more or less common in today's world. Um, but it's actually one of the things we talked about is that, you know, he and I can have these conversations, even though he thinks the earth is probably 10,000 ish years old total. Yeah. Right. Grand total. And I think, I think the best evidence is that it's probably in the billions of years old, several, you know, the, the kind of standard four and a half billion ish uh, years old makes sense to me. And I actually think an old, it's called an old earth theory. Yeah. Um, and, and of the, the old earth theory, I think actually answers most of the biblical questions better. That's my opinion. Okay. As well. Now, I don't think this is like a doctrinal, listen, you have to agree with me on this or you're not part of the church. Right. And neither does Chris and neither do most people. Now, some people do. They still have this 
view that, and it's kind of a cause and effect domino thing that's creates error by the way, but is if you, if you don't believe in a, you know, six 24 hour day creation, then you don't take the Bible literally. If you don't take the Bible literally, then you can't trust what the Bible says. If you can't right. trust what the Bible says, then you must not believe in the teaching of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe in the teaching of Jesus Christ, there's no way you can be a Christian. Yeah. Right. And that there's a whole bunch of errors made in that whole process. Yeah. And so if someone goes back and listens, you'll hear Chris say, when we'd asked, you know, the question about, do you, do you interpret scripture literally? And both he and I agree that the goal is not literal. It is accurately. Yeah. Um, no, no one, depending on how you define the word literal, um, if you mean the best way possible or the way the original author intended it, we would all agree. Yep. Absolutely. Right. Right. If we mean the way the original author intended it, then, then yeah, we want to be literal. The problem is we don't always know how the original author intended it. Right. And so, um, and so sometimes the, uh, the original author didn't intend it to be literal, meaning that it happened exactly this way. Um, and we know that's the case with some stuff like parables or some of the poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we know those aren't meant to be taken as historical. If so, if we use that terminology. Yeah. And so the difference that, so, the difference between a young earth creationist and an old earth creationist would be on what did, what were the intention? What's the intention of these first few chapters in the book of Genesis? Is it meant to tell us how things happen? Um, is it meant to say, and so here's, here's some of the questions, for example. So as I, what I, my answer, my initial answer to Solomon's question is I'm not convinced evolution is error at all. Um, now secular evolution has an error. Um, which is that this could happen naturally on its own, just by natural processes. That yeah. I, I don't accept. Um, I think it would require very intentional and close shepherding of a divine being. Mm-hmm. So it's a creation process. I see evolution as a creation process, an ongoing creation process. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's like a it's God is having to weave and. Uh, a tapestry together, a guide it step by step, the genetics of of the inner generations of of creatures that lead to the type of diversity we have today. I don't think that could happen statistically. We've t- actually talked about that. The, uh-huh. Even the chance of like something that's 10 options happening in a certain order in a certain row is like one in 10 billion. Um, it's the playing card example we did. And I'm, I'm sure we've talked about it on one of the podcasts. Um, and so the, the, the odds of these things coming to existence are just not, they're not plausible. I mean, in fact, we just did our staff retreat guys. We were just on that staff retreat. Yes. And we had a astronomer reference. Um, gosh, there's, he said something like there's like 13 billion possible inhabitable planets in our solar, in, in our universe. No, in our galaxy. galaxy. Yeah. In our galaxy. And and gosh, that's so gosh, it, it surely at least life is is there on some of them and even intelligent life. I mean, just there's so many chances. And we weren't going to engage with him. I wasn't in in the place to really like have some big debate or something. Yes. It, it was, was late at night. It was late at night <laughs> and we were tired and it was his party. And so yeah. we were like, listen, let's just we'll just listen to what he says. But is thirteen billion chances at something, is that is that make something likely? So what was, what was y'all's thought in that? So if I have 13 billion shots at winning the lottery, how, how likely am I to win the lottery? And I don't mean Texas lottery. I mean, right. Just a lottery. Yeah. What, what other information it would you need to know? It starts with your beginning odds, right? It's a, 
like your odds at the beginning, just because they're multiplied doesn't mean, I don't know if I'm going the right direction. Yeah, no, this is great. Yeah. Keep going. What do you mean? I, I'm not a great math person, so this is probably not a good Neither question for I. me. But, but, <laughs> Maybe but, if we expand, tag team but expand, but expand what you were saying. Cause I think that's, well, because if, if the odds at the beginning are, are really low of there being life somewhere else, just because there's 13 billion galaxies doesn't mean it's increasing the odds of that factor. Right. That much more. Right. Okay. So the fact that there are 13, let's go with his number. And by the way, his number is way inflated. Um, right. I looked it, I've looked it up and I knew it was like, that doesn't very seem right. Very shiny yeah. number. <laughs> very big number. And so very shiny number. Um, And so even if that's, so what if I said, okay, there's only 10 options at something or, or yeah, let's say there's 10 options and what are my odds of hitting it? And I get one attempt and all attempts are equal. You would say, well, you know, one in 10, that's pretty, that's pretty easy to do. Is that a good, is that good odds or bad odds? And how much are you willing to bet on it? So there's lots of factors that come with this, right? Are my odds good or bad? Well, I'm a, I'm a poker player. If, if I am 10% against you, I'm not probably going to bet because that's not good odds. 10% is not good odds in a, if you're 90% to win and I'm 10% to win, I do not want to turn over my cards and see that you're nine to one favorite, right? right. That's, that's bad. So if you go, okay, so, but there's, oh, here's the deal. I get 13 billion shots at it. Okay. That's, that's great. But what if the odds of hitting is one in a trillion, 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 trillion. Mm-hmm. Then if you have 13 billion shots at that, are you going to hit the one? So if you take all the, as, as there was a, uh, an engineer, an, uh, an astrophysicist and an engineer at A&M who used to say it this way, that if you take all of the known matter in the universe as at the time, uh-huh. and by the way, that gentleman kept saying, we could be in an infinite universe. And I don't, I don't know that anybody actually believes that. that that's actually not. Like it's always defendable. expanding or yeah, something that's like not, that. That's not really defendable. Um, okay. But that's okay. Um, uh, but you go, okay, so take all the known, and this is going to blow your minds, but that all the known matter in the universe and you, and you divide it down into its molecular level, okay? Uh-huh. You turn every one of those molecules into a universe and then, div- and then lower them down to their molecular level. That's how many marbles you have. Every one of those molecules is now a marble. Paint them all white, paint one black. You drop them in a big bag, stir it up, you get one shot to pull out the black marble. That's about the odds of life in the universe as we understand it. Mm -hmm. And we don't even know the conditions for life because we've never managed to recreate them. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, just a nerd out just for another little second. You guys familiar with the Fermi paradox? Nope. Heard of this? Okay. (laughs) The Fermi paradox is really fun. I'm still, I'm still, you're still, I'm still on the marbles. Yeah. (laughs) So So that's, you said it's you're going to blow my mind. I was going to say it doesn't take very long. Yeah, it is <laughs> exactly right. It's something like just guessing at it. Um, I've seen numbers that are approximately like one time, one to ten to the thirty-eighth power. That's thirty-eight zeros behind it. Wow, minimum. Um, uh, that's why you get really intelligent people like Einstein saying that the odds of 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 life in its uh, diversity on Earth coming into coming into existence on its own would be about the same as a print shop exploding mm-hmm. and all the letters falling to earth in the form of a faultless dictionary. Um, and so those types of the statistics there are just, they're just stupid. Yeah. Numbers. Yeah. Um, the Fermi paradox asks, why isn't there intelligent life all over the universe? Yeah. 
<clears throat> there's a barrier, obviously. And so what is that barrier? Well, the most likely barrier is life. Mm-hmm. That the reason there's not intelligent life all over the universe is because you can't get life. It just doesn't happen. Um, because the odds against it are so bad. And yeah. when you begin to think about it, and I've published about, when you think about, Chris and I, I think, talked about this in one of the podcasts was, that, that we sure did because we talked about how that first living thing had to then survive and reproduce. Right. Right. I remember. You how is that, that? How is that? Like, what are the conditions? We don't even know the conditions for that life coming into existence and then staying alive and then somehow reproducing itself is, is just unthinkable. We don't even know those numbers. Since we don't know those numbers, we can't guess at it. Yeah. Um, but apparently it's really darn unlikely. And so to, that's why I would say, this is not no argument for evolution like I would have does not defend secular anything. Um, this would require a divine intelligence. So, so far, so good. Mm-hmm. I would say, one, evolution makes a great case to answer Solomon's question. It makes a great case for ethics and for morality. Yes. Um, because a God who is intimately involved in the process every step of the way. He didn't just in six days start something and then, you know, and that was the main act of creation. It's yes. that he is still intimately involved in creation. So a couple of fun questions that like, here's a couple of questions why I think old earth is a better explanation. Yeah. Um, uh, even biblically. So I'm not, uh, so you can go study the scientific aspect of it, of cosmic expansion and yes. cosmology and all that, but just biblically. So here's one, here's one of my favorites is, um, so we say six twenty-four hour. Everybody, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter one. Yeah. Um, so you guys got a Bible in front of you. Turn over to Genesis one. Let's have this conversation. All right. I've given everybody time to turn over, to scroll, type in whatever yes. you're doing. Right. Yes. Okay. Genesis chapter one. So we start with this day, right? Um, so you've got the waters, which that's a hard one to explain, but to, to understand that the in the Hebrew mindset, the space is water Yeah, in the Hebrew mindset. It's the simplest way of saying it. I'm oversimplifying it, so excuse me for that. But they think that they thought the Hebrew mind still in the first century thought of everything out beyond the stars is water. Yeah. That was, it's some kind of liquid. And, it, and what's funny is they've turned out to be more right than we <laughs> would have ever thought in that it is dark matter. There's matter out there that's liquid is an oversimplification, but, you know, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So God says in verse three, let there be light. And there was light and God saw the light was good. God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. Okay, good. See, we got a day created. We've got a night created right there. How long are they? How long is that first day? Cause he's literally on the first day. He's creating light, right? He's creating day on day one. How long did that take? Clearly 24 hours. Obviously, it's a slight, it's actually slightly less than 24 hours. It's about 23 hours and 50 something, which is why we have leap years. Yeah. And so it's not, he didn't, he didn't exactly do 24 hours. It was more like 23 hours and something, right? So where did he get that number? It's not a very Jewish number. You'd think he'd have picked seven hours or 44 hours. Right. I was saying clearly in that sarcastically. I I just, I I wanted to make, I don't. I knew that. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Keep going. Yes. Okay. So. But the sun is how we get our day. Okay. So a day is, is from the sun. 
It's how long the earth takes the earth to rotate on its axis. So that part of us is facing the sun. And then about 24 hours later, that same part is facing the sun again. So, which happens? Go ahead. But then the question that follows is, Go ahead. When did he create the sun? Oh, that's, that a where great, that's a great question. <laughs> Thank you, Bryn, for that awesome question. Wow. When does God create the sun that would be where we would, uh, where we would then get a time for how long a day is? Have I found it yet? Looks like verse 14. Okay, verse 14. So on, on the fourth day, God creates the sun. So... In other words, uh, the biblical, the explanation would be that day one, two, and three, and apparently at least part of four, was measured in an absolutely arbitrary 23 hours and something minutes by God just because. Um, And keep in mind, he's speaking this stuff into existence. It's not like it takes him that long, is it? He speaks it into existence, and then he sits around and waits for the other 23 hours and 58 minutes in order before he speaks something else. I think it's. I think this passage, the language and the type type of language that it is, clearly communicates to us that this is not meant to be a measuring stick when it comes to how long each of these things was taking. My personal opinion is is that this is an apocrypha. This is God showing Moses something, just like that He does with Daniel, just like that He does with John in the Revelation. Is this isn't God saying, "Okay, Moses, write this down. Here's where I started, and I spent this long, and it was a day." This is God showing Moses creation. And Moses is putting it in the terms that make the most sense to him. And so the way it makes sense to him, just like John does in Revelation, and just like Daniel does in his Uh Revelation, is that he sees, God shows them these things, they put it in the language they know that makes sense to them, Uh and they go with it. So you can imagine God like showing, and and I'm now visualizing for the two people in the room, my hands going, you know, out and back closed, like he shows him something. And then it goes dark, and then he shows him something else, and then it yes. goes dark. And and Moses would naturally call those night and day. Yeah. Um, as he reveals them. Again, I think there's a process to it. I think it's intentional. And and again, I'll say again for people who are panicked out there and freaking out about this, because they're yeah. they 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 have been brought up to believe to believe anything other than strict six day creation is to not take the Bible seriously. Right. Um that's that, that's not accurate. I am uh, taking the Bible very, very seriously. I just want to know what type of speech the language is meant to be. Yes. Can I interrupt you real quick? Yes, you may. Please you do. you said apocrypha? Yeah. Is is that the same thing as like how would you so, describe sorry, that? I said apocrypha again. I did that again. I meant apocalyptic. Okay, so you like um, an apocalypse. Meaning it's a vision. It's a yes. re- it, it is a pulling aside of the veil. Yes, yes, yes. So yes. God's revealing something to Moses. That, I mean Moses wasn't there. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. So, it's not like so Moses it's, can say what happened. Yes. It has to be God revealing it to him. Absolutely. Which, do you think part of this goes back to we, because Genesis is one book, we assume it's all the same genre, which we haven't talked about a ton, but we've yes. hit on gen- genres in scripture a little bit, but we assume it's all narrative. Right. And that's where we often right. assume that this is narrative, not a vision. Yeah. I think that's that accurate. So some of this is going to be passed down verbally, like, uh-huh. the, like the story of Abraham. I don't know that God was showing, but only God could show creation because there were no humans there. Right, nobody right. was there. There was no one there to tell what happened. Um, and I think I also agree with, uh, like the Bible Project guys and, and the Naked Bible Podcast uh, team, and there's uh, many others out there, 
that when we engage with this first part of Genesis, we are engaging with God, revealing something, and largely clarifying other myths, other contemporary myths at the time that were myths. And this is God revealing to Moses, no, it, it wasn't some huge battle between uh, these gods. It wasn't a giant dragon doing this. It wasn't an ocean being torn in half. It wasn't this huge battle of chaos versus order. It was me expressing my authority as I just spoke these things into existence. There was no resistance. The, the universe didn't fight me on this. It wasn't, there's not some battle going on. It's not this chaos. There is disorder, water, and I brought order to it. And that was this act of creation. Clearly God had created because there was something there. There was water or there was this right. space there that God had already brought into existence. And then he began to craft it and form it. And, and it could God have done it in, in, in seven days, six days? Of course he could have. He could have done it in six seconds. So does it matter that he reveals to us this concept of day? Well, it matters, but, but does it mean it's definitive from a, this is historically, it took six 24-hour days? I don't, I don't think that's the purpose of this beginning of Genesis. I think it's telling us who did it, why he did it but I don't think it's trying to tell us how he did it in any detail. Beyond the how that's clear here that's so important is it's not a battle. Yeah. It's not a huge chaotic battle. And most creation myths from that era are all this massive, the Babylonian battles and the, it's this horrific experience. And instead the, the, the account of the Genesis creation is so peaceful. Really. Yeah. You, you don't read it and go, Oh, and like even when you picture, if you picture it, you don't picture mountains crashing up out of the sea. You don't, even if that's part of what happened, you experience it as God saying, okay, now I'm going to make an expanse in the midst of the water. And you see him gently like, okay, now land, there's land. I'm going to, and, and he's crafting something like an artist, not destroying or, or forcing something. There's no like rape of the natural world to quote the, yeah. you know, from Jurassic Park. It's not, this isn't a battle between God and nature. Yeah. This is, this is God speaking gently into all these things into existence. It's so beautiful. Um, so one, I think there are great lessons to potentially come from evolution about, uh, as a, as a process theory. Um, now people, again, people sometimes get up in arms about it. And I understand that because, the secular world has taught us when we explain, when the secular world explains a how, that explains away the who. Uh -huh. And I, think, I just think that's silliness. I don't, and that makes absolutely no sense, no rational sense at all. Yeah. That as if, as if there's going to come a day when I understand car mechanics and engines so well that there will <laughs> no longer have been a Henry Ford. Mm -hmm. Like that's just ridiculous. Um, you know, when I understand, when I understand revolvers, there will have never been a Colonel Colt. Like, no, the more complex a system is, the more evidence there it is that there was a designer and a creator. The more intentional it is, the more evidence that is. And so I think evolution is, a, is arguably a more powerful evidence for a designer, creator, and sustainer. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, I, I don't mean to portray six-day creationists as being uh, deists, meaning yeah. they believe that God started stuff mm -hmm. and then he went and took a nap or something. That's, that would be totally inaccurate. Right. Um, that is something called deism. That is not what creationists teach. Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't, I said that right. earlier and I don't mean that sound. And that just way. because you're talking about this belief in, in the evolution, 
Like the, it doesn't mean you ascribe to like social Darwinism or anything. Absolutely like that. not. Yeah. So it's um, not like okay, well, he believes or people who believe in an old Earth they ascribe to all of this. No. Mm-hmm. In fact, Darwin's Darwin is one of the proofs of Darwin's theories where they fall apart is proof of a designer sustainer. And I, I think what Darwin did is he picked up on a pattern of how things happened, and then he just he came up with a motivation for why it then happens which was survival of the fittest. And, and I think sometimes survival of the fittest doesn't work out well at all. Um, it's, it's one of the things that I debated smallly about the very first time years and years ago was it's amazing to me how often atheists have no concept for what evolution is. We talked about that on one of the podcasts going back um, where we talked about rats in the room. Uh. And, and, and so, for example, one of Solomon's questions is, it doesn't offer any insight into like, if I remember correctly, it wasn't about like ethical or moral or. Yeah. So ethical conclusions can, or it's like, is it, is F evolution false to the point that helpful ethical conclusions cannot be drawn from it and okay. applied today? So drawn from and applied. So that this is a good, okay. Uh, I know I'm doing a lot of talking and teaching. No, this, today, is, great. this is great. I was going to say, we kind of talked beforehand of like Chris said, yeah, he didn't want to be great. the only one talking, but you have really a lot of really great insights. So thank okay. you for I'll, that. I'll yeah. keep going then. The, um, uh, so here's, what's intriguing is that, and again, we talked about this on a previous episode is that, is that I think evolution, secular evolution cannot, doesn't explain ethics and morality very well at all. Um, and so I think it doesn't explain that stuff very well. I think what it does instead is it shows how there would need to be an external source for that. If evolution is the best shot you've got. And so I'll ask you again, the question uh, that we talked about was if you have um, evolution, the question I love to ask evolutionists, uh, Brian, is the, um, why does a giraffe have a long neck? Right. And, and what's the, what's the answer that I get? What would you guess is the answer I get like 99% of the time? I mean, I didn't grow up reading about evolution a ton. What would you guess? Why do, why do uh, giraffes because, have long necks? Because they need to reach the leaves at the tallest part of the tree. Exactly. Yes. And, and doesn't matter how secular or atheist someone is, that's the answer I get. That's called teleology. That is evolution cannot have a purpose. It, that's that's that is a God thing to answer it that way. You're putting oh, purpose yeah. and meaning yeah. behind it. Evolution does not serve a species. Mm-hmm. Evolution serves an individual mm-hmm. because that the idea is that individual gets an advantage and therefore is able to reproduce. Right. right. And so it makes sense. You can see how that does work with a giraffe is that you have a horse. I'll say you have a horse. And, and one of the horses is freak is born with a freakishly long neck. Like right. it's just a genetic fluke and it works out most, obviously most, uh, um, well, what are those called when, when you have something that's born incorrectly, like oh, mutation, um, mutation. Yes. Um, when you have a mutation, um, usually that's bad. Like right. it, almost always it's, it's, it's usually harmful to the, yes. Right. To the individual. Mm-hmm. But let's say, for, let's, let's just pretend that a horse is born with a freakishly long neck and that's okay. It doesn't die from oxygen deprivation. It doesn't, whatever it survives, but it gives it an extra six inches of leaves that it can eat that none of the other horses can eat. So it has no competition for these six inches of leaves, right? It can get full much faster than the others, right? Mm -hmm. Because it just follows along the others and eats what they can't get. Well, it gets full. And so it's able to reproduce more often. Right. And so it's more often to, to pass along those genes that allow it to reach the the leaves, right? Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry. And so, um, so that being said, here you, so that you can see how that's the survival of the fittest. 
slowly but surely more and more horses will be born that have the longer necks. That's the idea because it's offspring. If they get that same mutation, they will have the longer neck. They will eat better and they will have offspring more often. You following so far? Right, this yes. is this yes. is the idea. Over time, either you develop a totally other species that has longer necks and longer necks and longer necks and longer necks until you finally have giraffes that can get all the leaves at the top and only have to compete with each other. Mm-hmm. And then you still ha- you either still have horses that eat the other stuff that fill a different niche, or the horses go extinct because they can't compete with the long neck horses. Right. Okay. That's the idea. An individual is gains the advantage, mm-hmm. and the individual has to gain the advantage. That's how the species changes is through the advantage of an individual. All making sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, yeah. I have no idea how altruism could right. ever <laughs> evolve. Right. Because you have a room full of rats or a room full of horses or a room full of whatever, and you go, one of them is born for some reason with a genetic fluke, and it's a nice rat. Yeah. Somebody explain to me how it gets to mate and reproduce more often right. than the sociopathic rats. Right. And the answer is, I don't think it survives a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, it just gets wiped out. It, it may, may make for a good children's story, the one rat that's born that's nice. Sounds like a terrifying children's story. <laughs> <laughs> for that one rat, right? Yeah, definitely. The sociopathic rat. I don't, I know. I don't think I want to read that. Well, I think rats are probably sociopathic naturally, yeah. right? I mean, they, right. they will kill and eat each other if they have to right. in order to, to survive. And so somehow, though, I'm supposed to believe that from an ethical perspective, that there was one day in one generation, an ethical rat was born. Right. Yeah. Slightly more ethical. And someone might say, yeah, but... What if it was born slightly more able to work with a team? And that's how we began to develop it. Like, yes. With who? The other rat that also happened to evolve that same trait the very same generation? Now, what I would tell you is all of that makes sense if it's being done intentionally. Mm-hmm. If you have a designer and sustainer who is intentionally making these changes across the generations uh-huh. to, to evolve creation from a single cell all the way up to what I presume to be at this point, the apex of his creation, which is us, um, which is, by the way, how it happens every time. We all start as a single-celled organism, and then over nine to ten months, we develop into what we are now. And there's all kinds of fascinating stages. Again, none of these are final. I just think they're, they're, they're all good scientific explanations. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, what makes me curious that the Bible doesn't answer. So one, it is good to know that the word yom, um, this is not an issue of, it's funny. I had somebody tell me the other day, no, the, the, the way you interpret the word yom literally is a day, like a 24 hour day. Mm-hmm. Like that's like saying the word ran literally means to have moved Run. quickly with my feet. And it would be not literal to say that the word ran means my computer ran yesterday. Right. Or that my nose ran yesterday. Like those would be not literal. They are too literal. Those are literal usages of that word. That, that's not a figurative usage of the word. The word sometimes means that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the Hebrew, the word yom is most often used to reference like a day, May 1st or, or Nisan the 14th, right? That's what it normally means. But that is not its only usage. It can mean a period of time. It can mean a celebration. It can mean uh, like the day of the Lord, which doesn't mean a 24 hour period. It means a certain day. Like it can mean a lot of different things. It's not taking it non-literally to say, well, this is one of its meaning. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's the one that it means here. 
That's uh-huh. not a non-literal usage. That's just that's just bad hermeneutics. That's yeah, bad, that's bad study of scripture. Um, and so I think the Bible leaves plenty of room for the concept of evolution. Yeah, and then there are certain questions that are answered by an old Earth concept. Some scientific, like how we have star light from stars that would take a certain amount of time to get here, uh-huh. um, which is there's not great answers for that are young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the strata on the earth, which might can be explained by a flood and might can be explained by multiple creations and might could be explained by the strata settling in place over billions of years. I don't think those have to be contradictory. Uh-huh. Um, one, one is more a right answer, but then you're left with questions like, so when Adam and Eve, so Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain kills Abel, and then God drives Cain out of the family system. And Cain says, but I'm, I'm afraid it just anybody out there could kill me. Mm-hmm. Well, who is he talking there's, about? Yeah. There's Adam and there's Eve, and now there's just Cain. And he's being driven away from Adam and Eve, so who is he afraid of? Now, again, people go, oh, well, Adam and Eve had tons more children, and it had been 10,000 years, and, and they, who knows? We don't really, and the answer is, you're right, we don't, those, but understand those are all arguments from silence. Um, and if you're going to make an argument from silence, every argument is equally valid if it's from silence. Um, if you say, and then by the way, Cain went out and built cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know who he built cities with and who he filled them with unless there were other people. And so there's a lot of different ways to engage with Which, these. Are you saying, so that's an argument for greater amounts of time? Yeah. Much greater amount of time. Okay. So that people, and, and, um, you asked what was on, if this stuff, some of the stuff was on my website and some of it is. Okay. Th- these are all theoretical. There's, these aren't doctrine. You don't have to have a specific view on how these things played out and how long right. it took in order to be a Christian. But if you want to ask these questions, you're not the only one asking them. And, right. so, and there are Christian leaders like William Lane Craig, who is a, a leading Christian apologist and philosopher, and he's an old earth theorist. Now we have this whole movement almost within Christian Hebrew studies saying, listen, we've been looking at this Genesis thing all wrong from the beginning. I mean, this isn't, this was never intended to be this. And we just, we're now actually saying, but, but this is the medieval English interpretation. So it's the literal one. Like, no, it's, it's actually probably as far off as we could get from the original Hebrew mindset. Yeah. Which is what we're trying to connect to. So my, I have a question just because from being honest, and I think it may help others who, um, also have like I I still wrestle with this like sure. I see the validity of what you're saying I also have been a six day creationist yep, up absolutely. until fairly recently in my life at least and so and still am kind of unclear on where exactly I stand on it and no so problem. I think it's it's just fair to say this does create a lot of anxiety in a lot of people yes. and conflict so uh-huh. what would you say I think one of my main questions originally was exactly what you said of if I believe this, does this mean that I am somehow not adhering to scripture or even, you know, a lot of times in culture right now, we're talking about how as topics come up culturally, it's easy for us to want to go back and redefine scripture. Yeah. And so even from that standpoint, what would you say to relieve some of that Yeah. anxiety of like, if I ascribe to this, is that somehow compromising on one of those fronts. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the answer is it may be, it could easily be that. And we'll, we'll need to unpack this more because we're running short on time today. And I mean, we, I think that would be an excellent follow-up question is, so is, is there a, is it somehow wrong or immoral to hold 
either of these views, does that mean you're not taking the Bible seriously? And and I, I so I think I think some of the things to reference to, to understand is this has been a discussion in Christianity for a long, long time. This isn't recent. Right. Um, the, the age of the earth was a discussion long before Darwin was ever born. In fact, hundreds and hundreds of years before Darwin was born. Um, and whether or not Genesis was requiring us to believe in a certain age. Right. Um, most of that, a lot of those assumptions were actually came into existence much later, like the timelines of the begats and the begats and the begats and how we add up to 6,800 and something years and exactly. Yeah. And, and we can know what day of the week it was type of teaching. And, and those are extremes on each end. And there are theoretical ways to engage with it. Who's to say that God was running time at one second per second during this, or God created thing or everything already old, which by the way, would be an old earth theory, not a young earth theory, but it filed under young earth theory. It's just God created everything already aged. Like he didn't create a chicken. He created a chicken, not an egg. He created an adult man, not an infant or a zygote or whatever. So he did that with all of creation. Well, I mean, that's sure. Why not? I mean, he's God. He can do that if he wants to, that this is that he, he created something two days old and somebody else, something else, 30 years old and something else, 30 billion years old. Right. Okay, I mean certainly God, He can do that if He wants to. That's not a that's not an issue. But that would be an old Earth theory, right? Um. Anyway, I think there is a. Um, but you're saying you're you are convinced that you can ascribe to either yes. and still be believe in the inerrancy of the Word of God. Absolutely, the infallibility, the inerrancy, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, of the Word of God. Absolutely, I think you can. Yeah, that's that's a whole other topic. That'd be a great topic another day. Yeah. Is the difference between those two. Right. Um, and uh, anyway, so but I think there is a um, so the the answer to the question is yes. I think you can be totally appropriately a serious student of Scripture, um, a, a, that someone who loves and fears God and who follows Christ, and who would come away saying, I I think the preponderance of the evidence leans towards a young Earth. Right. Again, like Chris Sherrod does, which I I highly respect that. Mm-hmm. And I pointed that out in that podcast, like when we did that podcast, I said, those of you who are listening out there who are old earth, listen, that Chris wasn't just make, pulling spout stuff out and, right. and spouting it out. He was trying, he was using evidence, mm-hmm. worldly scientific evidence to defend his view. I would do the same thing. And we reached two different conclusions. Right. Both, both can leave you on the boat of Christianity. Yes. Absolutely. You can believe in an old earth. You can believe in a young earth and both be valid from a Christian perspective because we, we don't know the right, the necess- we, we cannot speak with certainty what is the only right way to interpret these passages. Right. And, and it's not that we somehow learned more about science in the recent years and then went back and, and are now redefining Scripture or reinterpreting it. It's just that we are looking to God's creation and saying, is there something in Scripture that, Maybe I misunderstood. And we, and so you'll know, it's, it, even if it's that first thing, that's yeah. not wrong. It's not wrong to say there's been a scientific discovery. Gosh, we always thought this. Mm-hmm. The scientific discovery is calling that into question. Let's look to Scripture and see, were we just over-interpreting Scripture? Right. The greatest example of that was, of course, Copernicus and the, the, uh-huh. the, for, that the church taught for, for a thousand years that the earth was the center of the universe. Right to the degree that literally people who taught a heliocentric solar system were persecuted by the church, that, that the, everything rota- our solar system rotates around the sun. Mm-hmm. Well, people were imprisoned for saying that. But because clearly the Bible says everything rotates around the earth. Mm-hmm. Actually, it, it doesn't. 
ever say that. Right. That was just an assumption we made. That was an interpretation we made that made sense at the time. Okay, yeah, I can see where we got that. Mm-hmm. It turned out not to be right, and it wasn't necessary to believe that scripturally. I think the same thing is true of the age of the earth, mm-hmm. is that as we've uncovered, things seem to be a lot older. Well, which thing is, what What do we need to change? Do we need to change the way we interpret? Because we don't change scripture. Right. But we have to be humble enough to recognize, oh, well, maybe we interpreted it incorrectly. Right. And yes, we do have to do that about several things, which is part of why it's okay to deconstruct right. and reconstruct our faith. And we don't believe that science and scripture are at odds. That's right. Science and Christianity are at odds. That's but right. But it gives us freedom to dig into these hard questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructed Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up. Trust God. Search for answers.